You've heard of the law of attraction. You've likely even tried some of the old school manifestation techniques. Why, after saying hundreds of positive affirmations and constantly attempting to get into some high vibe state, does it feel like nothing is shifting? It's likely because you aren't manifesting from your unique energetic alignment. Want to find out how you can manifest more consistently and effectively? Take the short, fun, and informative quiz that we created and learn how to understand and utilize your energy to create abundance in your business. Go to www.manifestationquiz.com and take the quiz today. This is the Creative Soulpreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Demas. Let's go. Okay, my friends, welcome back to the show. I have a guest who is so thoughtful. He's just this really super thoughtful human being, a thought leader of sorts. And I we met through a mutual friend, my friend Rachel Duffy, who some of you are very familiar with. And she said, you got to meet this guy. I don't know why you got to meet this guy. He's the right guy for you to know. And we did, and she was correct. Greg, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me, Nick. Really thoughtful and sweet of you to have me here. Thanks. So I'm just getting to know you, and I know that my audience doesn't know you at all. <laughs> You're new to this. So why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, those fun questions. Sure. Yeah. I'm a healer. I help folks who are struggling with burnout and anxiety and depression um, really start to address the unresolved trauma beneath their pain. And so I work with neuroscience, somatic and mindfulness-based practices, along with energy medicine. And I've cultivated a healing system that really pairs all of these practices together to make healing as practical and accessible as possible. You know, really interested or invested in removing stigma around mental health and just helping folks understand that they have more power than they know when it comes to healing themselves. Hmm. Good stuff. So we've got a lot to dive in here. I think I want to start with what brought you to healing work? Yeah. How did you come to it? Or how, how did it find you? Or did you find it? It found me, you know, I was struggling with insurmountable chronic pain, just, yeah, it was debilitating. And I had a friend who was a massage therapist who offered me a massage. This is some 25 years ago. And I did not want a massage, just physical touch was too painful. And at this point, I was just out of college. And, you know, I was just inches away from pain meds and antidepressants, because I just, you know, as a kid, I had chronic ear infections and strep throat, and there was nothing I wanted more than to go to a doctor, take a pill and, you know, have that fix me. And so that's all I knew. And I was pretty close to taking that path to address my chronic pain, anxiety and depression. And when I told my friend that I didn't want a massage, she introduced me to the world of energy medicine and Reiki, which was completely foreign to me. You know, that I just, at that point, I had probably been reading some books on mindfulness, but for me, you know, my spiritual practice was spending time in nature, right? Mm -hmm. So whole new world, but I had implicit trust in her. And so I said, let's give it a try. And I realized I found something I didn't know I was looking for. 
um, within minutes, if, if even that. I just felt as though I started to rise above my pain body. And at that point in my life, my pain body was all I knew, right? And I was fighting against it my entire life. And I felt there was just no way out of it. And all of a sudden, I just started to suspend above it and get a glimpse of, wow, I'm not my pain. And that was really, really something. And so over the next year, I continued to see her sporadically. We lived about two and a half hours away from each other in Montana. And within a year and a half, I moved to Seattle. And that's when I just dove headfirst into studying energy medicine and Reiki for a good four years. That introduced me to the world of meditation. So I was in India for about eight months. And so that's where I started to really discover kind of the somatic uh, practices to help release stress and tension stored in the body to really create the climate for more of a natural, you know, meditative state to arise. Um, and as I came back to the States, I continued to study more energy medicine, a healthcare system called Body Talk, the world of yoga and Ayurveda. And I started to kind of intuitively pair all of these practices and wisdoms and teachings together. And about nine years ago, when I moved to San Francisco, one of my students um, said, you know, you're teaching a trauma-informed approach to healing. And at that point, I knew I was healing my own trauma, but again, it was more of an intuitive process. And she was a therapist at the California Institute of Integral Studies. And she said, you know, why don't you become my teacher's assistant and help the students with some mindfulness-based practices to help them really synthesize the course material? And so that's where I began to get my kind of trauma and neuroscience lens. So, you know, since, since then, I've been reverse engineering how I've pieced together all of these practices to create as linear and logical of a kind of step-by-step -step system to help people heal. So hopefully they don't have to like travel the globe and learn as many hard lessons as I did to heal. So there are two words that came up repeatedly in that. And that was heal and trauma. So it's interesting because I've been thinking a lot about how trauma looks. It looks so differently. The external manifestation of it looks so differently based on different people and their experiences, right? How we respond to the trauma. And traumas can be big, dramatic traumas, but they don't necessarily have to be, right? And I know for me, I've been looking at my own traumas and my own sort of uh, reaction to it. And for many years, I avoided, avoided, avoided in any way possible feeling anything around it. And the best boy in the world came out. And I was an overachiever. I still have 5,000 projects. We were talking about that before we came on. That I saw 5,000 projects. And part of that I've come to learn over time has been a trauma response. That yeah. it doesn't necessarily mean you're crumbled in a ball in the corner and you can't function and you're depressed. And it can manifest in many different ways. Can you talk about ways in which it manifests that people may not really even see or know that oh, that could be a trauma response. Yeah, that's, you're, you're speaking to what a lot of folks who find me, I work with a lot of leaders, I work with a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, before my world of healing, I was working in the nonprofit world. So I've been very mission driven my entire life. And that mission, and that purpose 
um, my own trauma really zapped the fulfillment out of the purpose, right? Mm -hmm. So it led to this sense of emptiness. So yeah, a lot of folks are finding me with this pedal to the metal mindset, right? And not being able to take their foot off the gas. And as much as that maybe helps us create a lot of amazing things in the world, it can also really destroy us. And I think the more insidious, you know, a lot of people are considering trauma is all the bad things that have happened to us. And that's true. But I think the more insidious experience of trauma is, especially in early development, the lack of consistent, reliable care from our primary caregivers, right? So if we're not getting our needs met reliably and consistently in early development, that can quite literally signal life or death, which unconsciously then sets up an entire dynamic of hypervigilance and I can't rely on anyone. So I need to do everything on my own and I need to be perfect at everything. And I need to hide and perform parts of myself to be safe and okay. And again, all of this is happening so early on in development that it just becomes so ingrained in our very identity. So, so many folks come to me and say, I'm not sure if I have trauma, like nothing bad happened to me. It's like, well, but did the right things happen? So trauma could be too much too soon, too much too long, or not enough for too long. Oh, that's really good. I hadn't really ever heard anybody put it in that context in that way. I really, really uh, was resonating with some of that as you were speaking it. And this idea of leadership, because I think, you know, my listeners are leaders, right? They're people that, and are, for the most part, creatives, sensitive, super sensitive, empathic people, and spiritual entrepreneurs, again, very sensitive, empathic people who take on lots and lots of energy. So. I think that we have sometimes this thought that we don't know how to be an embodied leader as we are working through our own and our own healing process. There's this intersection, right, of healing and leadership. And how does one go about not necessarily, how do I want to say this, not bringing their own stuff onto others? How's that? Sure. Yeah. Well, I think that's that's the essence of healing is that we are clearing out the distortions and the subterranean patterns of wounding and trauma that can otherwise become quite a liability, right? And that can really compromise our ability to foster psychological safety and trust, you know, really inhibit our capacity to work through conflict. And, you know, so much of healing is relational and trauma often is happening relationally. You know, there's a break of trust. There's a a lack of safety. And so what I love about working with leaders is I feel we just have such a unique opportunity to become vessels of healing, right? And I think we're looking at that right now in the world. There's a crisis in leadership. And yet that crisis is lending itself to an opportunity for us to redefine leadership, right? Instead of just these sets of skills. It's like who we are informs how we lead, right? Our humanity then becomes our greatest asset. So instead of it really being a leadership guidebook, the folks I'm working with, it's just this unburdening where it's just, we're finding more ease being ourselves. And sure, we still may play a role as a leader, But we realize that that's not who we are. That's just the role that we are playing. And so we're not conflating the two. So it just frees up more space for authenticity. And 
um, and accountability for that matter. Yeah, in my past, I led an organization, nonprofit, and put myself on this sort of pedestal, not realizing that that's the way in which I was setting up the structure, but that's ultimately what I did. And that was, again, that that trauma response that I had, that I had to be in charge, I had to be in control, I had to, and while I was simultaneously in my mind was trying to empower others. But what I didn't realize is I was putting myself or setting myself apart. And part of that was that the leaders that came before me, I was modeling that behavior. So I set myself on this pedestal that had to come crashing down. And eventually it did. And it was incredibly painful, incredibly painful. But it was also the greatest gift I think I've gotten in that I had to look at that leader position because it was a position. It wasn't who I was. And I think that's the the tension in healing sometimes is this emanation of being and this potential and this possibility hasn't been modeled for us, right? We're often going off of templates from early development or, you know, from the dominant cultural paradigm, which again are often top down structures that are, you know, have all sorts of maladaptations around power dynamics. And so I think that's a big piece that I find, especially working through a trauma-informed lens is uh, helping people become more seated in their power and their agency. And when we can actually become you know, be able to feel ourselves and reside within ourselves, you know, that's where we, we really reclaim that capacity to, to have presence and agency. And then that's a rewrite on power, right? It's not a power over, it's a power for, it's a power with, and that becomes a much more generative power. And a lot of the work I'm doing is just to really help people alchemize pain into purpose, and then also redefine purpose. So purpose isn't necessarily what we do. It's who we are, and it's the quality of presence that we bring to the table. And it's also not necessarily extrinsically motivated, right? It's redefining purpose from a place of intrinsic motivation. So what really inspires us, what lights us up, what moves us. And I think that aspirational energy is what people are really seeking from leaders, right? Because that that's a spark that others can then really draw from. Yeah, I couldn't help but think about Dharma as you were speaking that, you know, sort of from the ancient texts, mm-hmm. that it's a way of being who you are in the world. Your purpose is your being rather than what you do. And we have definitely conflated that. We applaud that in many ways. The more you accomplish the more applauded you are, which then creates that cycle of seeking the applause, seeking it's a circle, right? But when you can move out of that story and into a place of embodiment of the self, the authentic power, then that external validation is not, meaningless isn't really the right word because it can be meaningful, but it is not a necessity for your happiness, your contentment, really, ultimately. I agree. I love, I was speaking about this in a morning meditation in my community this morning. And so this 
the sense of dharma. It's like understanding our place in the cosmic order, right? So just like a star that's a part of a constellation, right? It just knows its place within that constellation and within the cosmos. And it need not effort itself. It need not force itself. It just gets to reside in itself. And that emanation of being, you know, when we see that modeled in leadership, that just affords everyone to just take an exhale and start to access more of that coherent state within themselves. Um, And that's, that's a powerful force. I love that star metaphor because we're all light, right? So that's so powerful and so true that the star is the star. We're all stars. Yeah. We're all stars in this great abundant universe. And that you're a star merely for being here, not because you've become famous. Yeah. Uh, you, you just get to be yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And that's so much of the healing process is just starting to tease out the ways in which we've been hiding or performing parts of self out of safety, out of survival, to derive more safety and connection and support to realize that those strategies and mechanisms aren't inherent to our identity. So as we start to tease that out, it just frees up more space for being. And it's so beautiful the way you said that and and i'm sure i'm also hearing in my in the back of my head that somebody's saying oh well that sounds so great that sounds so easy you know when you say it what do i do what do i do to do that yeah and and no easier said than done for sure and you know i was speaking in with my community last night and part of an online course i'm leading right now there's no silver bullet. There's no quick fix. And none of this is one and done. It's a practice, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the, the somatic and mindfulness-based practices ultimately are the mind training to help us reorient from pain to possibility. You know, the brain is always going to scan for danger and worst case scenarios. That's just the brain will default to that. So first understanding that that's just the nature of the mind and the chronic commentary that it will always be making. And then we have a choice to guide our awareness, to look at what else might be possible. And I get it. A lot of folks find me when they're in the trenches of their trauma. So when you're in a pit and in a hole, you can't even look out at the horizon. So I get that. And that's where you reach out and find support and you find community. So you can actually be held and supported. Uh, in those spaces. You know, as mammals, we're social creatures. So we're not meant to do life alone. And we're certainly not meant to heal um, trauma alone. And that's the imprint of trauma is going to continue to perpetuate these, these experiences of alienation and isolation. So uh, how we start to break that cycle. Um, Again, I have some students who found me where they first weren't ready to work in a group program, because that felt too threatening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like they found support one-on-one or they found some support online before they can start to build community that doesn't feel too overwhelming or too stressful. I love though that you, you know, you said that it's in community, the healing's in community because the healing, the, the injury happened in community. 
And that's the troubling thing right now with so many folks treating chemical imbalance as if chemical imbalance is what is causing anxiety and depression. And well, before I could dive deeper into that, I want to name that, you know, hey, I get it. Sometimes pain and symptom management is necessary. Um, so I'm not demonizing that. Yeah. Yet, yet, it just keeps us treating a symptom, right? But furthermore, in terms of stigma around mental health, it's subliminally sending or subconsciously sending the message that something is wrong with the individual, that they have a chemical imbalance that we need to treat as if that is an island on its own that has nothing to do with the outer world. Right. And uh, the reframe that I really want to drive home to folks is that what if our anxiety and our depression and our pain is actually a healthy response to an unhealthy environment. So while we may need to treat medically at some point just to tread water and not drown, that's a lot of folks are just taught that that's it, right? And without understanding that unresolved trauma and attachment wounding is what's lurking beneath the surface of all of that. And the beautiful thing is that we have more and more tools and resources at our fingertips these days to help support healing both trauma and developmental wounding. Yeah, because it's holistic, right? It's, it's, it's not one piece. It's a puzzle, ultimately, that the pieces have to come together in order for the, the, the picture to be full again or whole again. And sometimes we can zone in on one piece and think that this, the silver bullet again, is going to like take care of it as if it was created in a vacuum, as if it wasn't created in within a larger context. So I love that you spoke on that. The documentary that I have coming out, Invisible, that is about fibromyalgia, which is a chronic pain syndrome, the majority of the population is told, once they're diagnosed, they are told, here, here's some painkillers, good luck. And so they go on these painkillers and nothing really changes. And in fact, sometimes they get worse because there's this big underlying energetic component that's happening of the of trauma and the majority of people with this particular syndrome, not all, but the majority, there is some form of trauma underneath. The studies have shown that. So it's very interesting that that is where we are in in the healthcare system, in this broken sort of system, but more and more people are beginning to point at, point it out. More and more people are beginning to poke the bear in a way and say, hey, it's bigger than a silver bullet pill. It's bigger than masking pain. It's, it's bigger than this. And the chemical imbalance thing, I would love for you to go and talk about that a bit deeper because I know people are told you have a chemical imbalance. Here's a pill. There's nothing else you can do. Well, what if the chemical imbalance, again, is still just the tip of the iceberg? So we need to look at the underbelly of the iceberg and the multitude of causative factors. And I don't even think there's ever a root cause. I think there's causative factors, right? And it's a gross oversimplification to think that it's all in our genes, right? And our genes and our genetics actually aren't fixed, right? They are malleable based on environmental factors. So for better or for worse. So stress being an environmental factor that can 
turn genes on and you know lead to disease and illness or we can work with healing practices that actually are a, a healthy environmental input that actually can augment genes for the better and again when people are just being taught to treat a symptom as if that's the only thing that's the only thing they need to do it just robs people of the opportunity to gain access to tools and resources that can really, you know, make a huge difference. And it, it's, it's misdirecting an understanding of what healing is. So I think of our current healthcare system really is sick care. And it is, it's yeah. treating, chasing and suppressing symptoms. And I look at healing as a return to a connection to our innate wisdom. And innate wisdom is a term, I think it was first coined in chiropractic decades ago. And innate wisdom, it's describing the healing mechanism within us that when we get a paper cut, it'll send platelets and proteins and orchestrate all these biochemical transmissions to heal that paper cut. And wouldn't you know, it heals that paper cut without us having to think about it, without us having to talk about it. It's happening while we're sleeping, while we're having this mm. conversation, while we're eating a meal, while we're working, while we're at the gym, whatever it may be. So as much as I'm helping folks heal trauma, I'm not actually making it my business to focus much on trauma. Sure, I'm building a, a, a vocabulary and an awareness and an understanding of trauma so people have a context for what you know they're struggling with. But the essence of healing is actually just reconnecting them to that innate wisdom. And there's something so simple and so elegant about that. And I think that's the energy medicine piece, you know, which helps to calm the cardiovascular system. It helps to regulate the nervous system. It helps to strengthen immune function. And, you know, when we are supporting all of those systems, it's just naturally aligning us to the inborn innate intelligence within us that is always guiding us towards balance. Yeah, it reminds me of that saying, you're your own best guru, that your natural state is the, the best teacher. There is no magic, woohoo, I'm going to heal you, you are healed, right? There's no, you are healed. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and that's another that's a troublesome thing, even in the world of holistic health, because I think yeah. there are a lot of healers that wear that mystery about them. Yes. And my job is to demystify and democratize healing as much as possible. And not to say that there there is something magical about it. As much as I try to bring as much science to understanding how you know, trauma gets stored in the connective tissue and fascia and how that creates inflammation and stagnates emotion and has this ripple effect on the immune system and on hormones. There's something pretty spectacular about this innate wisdom that can then flush out these patterns of trauma and restore this natural flow of our life force energy. But that magic, that essence, I... I don't hold a power about that. I've worked really hard over the last 25 years to develop tools to help me access it. And so then when I work with my students, I'm like, here are all the tools. Now you go access it just like I have. You know, for me, I think of magic as that which science hasn't found the pattern yet because it's patterning. That's what they find. That's what proves it. 
it's proof, right? The proof of that science has proved it is the, the, the repeated patterning that they have found. And yet these miraculous, you can call them miracles, you can call it magic, you can call it divine intervention, you can call it whatever you want to call it, I don't care what you call it, is that it just hasn't yet been proven by science. But that doesn't mean that it's not real or doesn't exist. And we also have to question why maybe we haven't been putting many research research dollars into exploring. You know, let's say there's over 200,000 cases of spontaneous remission. <laughs> it's like really a remarkable number, right? And yet we haven't really put many research dollars into understanding the mechanism behind spontaneous remission. And part of that, again, is our system the way in which the healthcare system works and who funds the studies. The studies are funded by drug companies. What's the drug company's last thing that they want for you not to be on a drug? And that's, you know, and that's why it's really, I don't even like the word mental illness because I think mental illness is simply unresolved trauma. And when we heal unresolved trauma, then what we're slapping a label on as mental illness falls away. But when we put a mental illness label and we slap that label on something, then the pharmaceutical company can throw a drug at it, right? But the fact of the matter is there hasn't yet been a drug developed that heals trauma and the residue that it stores in the body and its you know, subsequent impacts on our mental, emotional, and spiritual health. And, and the beauty in that is that when we are tasked with healing trauma, I think it helps us actually get so in contact with an essential part of ourselves that it becomes a a great gift. You know, I love to hold the framework that we get to mine the gold of unresolved trauma. And when we do, there's just so much more meaning and purpose, place, and significance that we can derive within our lives. And that you can't beat that. Yeah, I so resonate with that. I was beaming from ear to ear with that statement because the gifts are there. Each each trauma that I've that I've impacted or uncovered or healed from or however you want to whatever however you want to name it has been such a huge gift. Has been such a an, a heart opening and awakening and has really propelled my life not just forward, but back and forward in a way that is moved out the tension of the body, relieved the mental stress and tension. You know, it's really so powerful. The work you're doing is so powerful with people. Well, what I love, especially bringing it back into the world of leadership and social impact, you know, it just, for me, brings it full circle to that deeper meaning and that significance, right? And again, in my early days in the nonprofit world, I lost myself. I was so burned out. I was so empty that despite like historic wins with legislation that we were passing, you know, when I'd lost myself, there were no wins, right? And so to be able to reclaim my wholeness, and what I find is the more I reclaim my wholeness, that despite the brokenness in the world, I have a particular capacity to see the potential for wholeness in the world, which just then becomes a generative feedback loop that continues to inspire me and, you know, on my mission and on my purpose. And so that's, that's the, the loop I like to help leaders and entrepreneurs really, you know, close, um, because then that just becomes this 
you know, because again, trauma can become a self-fulfilling prophecy of perpetuating further pain, further cycles of harm, and healing does the opposite. It creates and perpetuates cycles of generative, nourishing, life-giving inspiration. And, and that's, you know, you can't, you can't put a price on that. That was beautiful and really inspiring. And I know that there's going to be people out there who are listening, who are going to want to connect with you. They're going to want to have a conversation with you. They're going to want to learn from you and heal with you. How can they reach you? Sure. Yeah. Gregwhiting.com. And yeah, apply to have a conversation. It all starts with a conversation. And, you know, that the idea is I want to partner with folks who we can create a win-win, right? And so I want to know where folks are at, where they want to be, and if I can hold that vision for that arc of transformation with you. And hey, if we're not a match, I am just as soon going to find the right person to, you know, partner with you because, again, when you win, I win. And so, yeah, it all starts with the conversation. Speaking of conversation, is there anything in this conversation that would make it feel whole or complete or finished for you? You know, I think a lot of folks who, to one of your questions earlier around, maybe that sounds, you know, not as easy as as it sounds. Um, I just like the imagery when it comes to healing. And I just think this really helps people kind of grasp, you know, how healing is possible. You know, so I've mentioned this function of the innate wisdom, restoring our connection to the innate wisdom. And so how I work with energy medicine and the trauma and the neuroscience, the somatics and the mindfulness is an awareness that the body, mind, and spirit are a symphony orchestra. And so when we're experiencing health, all the different parts of the body, mind, and spirit, so that's cells, that's tissues, that's memories, that's hormones, that's emotions, that's organs, that's neurotransmitters, on and on. When they are in a harmonic resonance, there is a musicality of being. So there is just this sweet resonance, this harmony, this balance. And then the nervous system gets short-circuited because of stress and trauma, and that starts to create noise. The communication between all the parts starts to break up, and that noise then starts to present itself as our symptoms, as our illness, as our disease. So the restoring our connection to the innate wisdom is what breaks up the noise and just returns us to that musicality of being, and just like the star in the sky. So that returning to that musicality of being just gives us permission to be ourselves. And so much of healing is a happening, not a doing. So I'm really invested in helping people kind of bypass the mind that is always trying to strategize and figure things out from the top down. And we can bypass that and access that innate wisdom, again, that heals the paper cut without us having to think about it. And that really helps us access kind of the miracle of our own awareness, which allows for such elegant healing to transpire despite us. So I promised everyone you were going to be thoughtful. What I didn't know was that you would also be poetic. (laughs) That was beautiful. Greg, thank you so much for your thoughtfulness, for your your words of wisdom today. And uh, I look forward to continuing conversation with you and know others will too. So thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Nick. Be sure to DM Greg 
and let him know your big takeaway today. There has to be some because my mind was going poo, poo, poo. I was enjoying the conversation so much and DM me as well. Also, as always, we thank you so much for taking the time to listen. I know that you have lots of options out there and I really, really appreciate you spending a bit of your day with me. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time.